the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Bayonet Point, WTBN, Pinellas Park. Portions of this hour have been pre-recorded for broadcast at this time. Up next is Verse by Verse, sponsored by Verse by Verse Ministries. I don't know if you realize this, but throughout the Bible, there are over 20 passages in Scripture that refer to the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah. Over 20. Because their destruction serves just as a constant reminder that no one will ever get away with sin. And you may think that judgment will never come upon you because it hasn't come upon you yet. And maybe you're living what you, we would call the good life. But the people of those two ancient cities didn't believe they would ever be judged either. D.L. Moody told about visiting a pastor friend in England when a huge storm swept over that part of the country. The fishermen were trapped in the harbor for a week and eager to resume their livelihood. Finally, the skies cleared and they all started to head out to sea. But the harbor master had hoisted the storm signal and he begged them to wait. But nearly all of the fishermen ignored him and nearly all of them were lost at sea when the storm resumed because they did not heed the warning. Hi, this is Verse by Verse. Our teacher, Pastor Steve Kreloff, is sharing an urgent warning from Second Peter chapter 2. Pastor Steve is the teaching pastor at Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. I'll tell you more about him later, but right now, it's time to begin today's lesson. So far in our study of this chapter, we've seen two examples that demonstrate the inescapability of judgment for the rebellious. Keep your finger in Second Peter chapter 2 and turn to Ezekiel chapter 16. Here's Pastor Steve. We've just stated that angels were judged and the world of Noah's day were judged. And now Peter gives a third example of God's judging hand by reminding them that the ancient cities well known to people of Sodom and Gomorrah were judged. God dealt with them. Now, it's interesting that Peter doesn't tell us why God judged them. I I would assume that the reason that he doesn't say it is because his readers knew it. And I think most of us know it. Genesis 19 records that God destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah because of their extreme rebellion to his standards, especially in their sexual behavior. And I want you to see, just listen to this from Ezekiel. Ezekiel chapter 16, listen to this. Verses 49 and 50, God says, Behold, this was the guilt of your sister Sodom. Now he's saying this to Judah. This was the guilt of your sister Sodom. She and her daughters had arrogance, abundant food, and careless ease, but she did not help the poor and needy. And you don't want to stop there because some will say, see, Sodom was destroyed because she was just lack of hospitality. She didn't help people. That's only part of it. She was arrogant. She had so much he only cared about herself, self-centered people. And then he says in verse 50, thus they were haughty and committed abominations before me. Therefore, I removed them when I saw it. Sodom and Gomorrah were guilty of an attitude of arrogance, of rebelliousness to the Lord, and they therefore committed abominations, which primarily 
the, uh, the, the primary abomination would be their sexual perversion of men seeking to have relations with men. In fact, I'd like to turn to Genesis 19. We won't go over all of it, but in Genesis 19, you see how absolutely wicked they were. Genesis 19 tells us that God said that he was going to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah, and he sent two angels there to do that and to rescue Lot and his family. These two angels come into the city, and Lot meets them at the gate. He's never seen them. He doesn't know they're angels. They uh, are in the uh, form of two males, and he uh, meets them, and he invites them to his home, and they say, no, we're going we're gonna to sleep out here in the square, uh, the, the city gates, the square. Lot knows the perverted behavior of the men of the city, and so he says, no, 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 you must come home with me. They come home to Lot's home, and then notice what verses 4 and 5 say. Before they lay down, the men of the city, notice this, the men of Sodom surrounded the house, that's Lot's house, both young and old, all the people from every quarter. So it's not just a handful of filthy old men. It's young and old, all the people from every quarter. And they called to Lot and said to him, where are the men who came to you tonight? Bring them out to us that we may have relations with them. They wanted to have sexual relations with them. They uh, looked upon them as as uh, just two male humans, not realizing that they were angels. And uh, that's how wicked it was that these visitors come to Lot's home. And the first thing, they're not even there at night. And these men are pressing on the door to have them. Just a horribly wicked, wicked place. In fact, in the New Testament, Jude affirms their gross immorality in Jude Verse 7, he writes, Just as Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities around them, since they in the same way as these indulged in gross, he calls it gross immorality, and went after strange flesh. I take it what he's talking about is they didn't go after the natural affection of men, which would be women. They perverted it. They went after men. Strange flesh, gross immorality. And so as a result of their gross immoralities, we go back to Second Peter Peter says that God reduced these cities, and I mentioned three others, the the whole plain, the whole area. He reduced them to ashes. That is to say that Genesis 19 tells us he destroyed them by by miraculously, wasn't just a natural occurrence, miraculously raining down on them fire and brimstone. It's very interesting, uh, this uh, this expression, fire and brimstone. In our uh, our time in Italy, we had the opportunity to visit the city of Pompeii. Pompeii, as many of you know, was destroyed in 79 AD when Mount Vesuvius erupted. And it covered, first the people died from the uh, the gases that they inhaled, but then they were covered under 30 feet of ash. In fact, no one knew until the 1700s that there was even a city there. There's actually three cities that were uh, that were buried. But 30 feet of ashes, and only because they were digging for, for some things, they discovered that the city never existed again. It's interesting we, that, that this expression, reduced them to ashes, was used by an ancient writer years later to describe the eruption of Mount Vesuvius in 79 AD. Just covered the place. It reduced to ashes. And just as Pompeii was totally destroyed and devastated. It doesn't exist today. It's only a place where tourists like us go through and see. It does not exist today. There is no city that's living there. In a similar way, God sent a complete devastation and judgment upon Sodom and Gomorrah. In fact, the ruin is so complete 
that um, scholars, geographers, archaeologists don't even know to this day exactly where those cities existed. They've never been found. We do know that the general vicinity was the Dead Sea, whether it was to many thinkers to the south, some think it was to the southeast, but it was so uh, devastating that's never been rediscovered. In fact, uh, if you ever go to Israel or if you've been there, you know that the Dead Sea is a barren place now. It is a desert place. It is where, in case you're wondering, is where Masada is. It is just just really barren. There's a reason they call it the Dead Sea. And that general area, and yet in Genesis 13, we're told that it was a once fertile area, once very productive, a well-watered place, a place like the Garden of Eden, and yet now it's just barren wilderness. So God devastated these cities for their rebellion, and their rebellion was primarily expressed through the sin of homosexuality. But here's a question for you. Why did God choose to destroy these two cities when actually uh, sexual perversion was rampant throughout the ancient world. It wasn't just limited to the to this place. It was kind of a common thing in Canaanite culture. You ought to understand that when God destroyed and, and told the Israelites to destroy the Canaanites, that's a merciful destroying. They were a disease that God didn't want to infect upon any other culture. But why did God then choose these two places? Look at the end of verse 6 and you'll see. It says, having made them an example to those who would live ungodly lives thereafter. God chose Sodom and Gomorrah to be ongoing testimonies and examples and warnings to every ungodly person that he deals with sin. That's the point. I don't know if you realize this, but throughout the Bible, there are over 20 passages in Scripture that refer to the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah. Over 20 because their destruction serves just as a constant reminder that no one will ever get away with sin. And you may think that judgment will never come upon you because it hasn't come upon you yet. And maybe you're living what you, we would call the good life. But the people of those two ancient cities didn't believe they would ever be judged either. In fact, in Luke chapter 17, Jesus addressed this. After speaking about the destruction of civilization in Noah's day, in Luke 17, Jesus went on in verse 28 to speak about Sodom and Gomorrah and Lot's day. He says it was the same as happened in the days of Lot. They were eating, and they were drinking, they were buying, they were selling, they were planting, they were building. It's just life as usual. That's what he's saying. They're just doing the normal things of life. But on the day that Lot went out from Sodom, it rained fire and brimstone from heaven and destroyed them all. It will be just the same, he said, on the day that the Son of Man is revealed. What Jesus is saying is just as the people of Sodom and Gomorrah never expected the morning they woke up that they would be judged and die that day, and I might add be judged eternally, so Jesus said it will be when he returns to judge those who have rejected him. It would be like, as he put it another, another time, a thief in the night. No one expects when the thief will come. No one expects when he will judge them. But the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah stands as a warning to us to be ready, a warning to make sure that we know Christ, that we don't have to be judged for our sins. And this is not just a temporal judgment. This was an eternal judgment. Jude 7 says that, that there are examples of everlasting judgment, eternal fire, it says. And Peter's point, and mark this, Peter's point, I wouldn't want you to misunderstand what he's saying He's not saying that God's punishment is reserved only for those who practice immorality. That's not what he's saying. 
Because if he is saying that, then some people will say, well, I live a sexually pure life. I'm okay. I've only been, been, I've been faithful to my spouse or I'm not married. I've, uh, I've been faithful not to indulge in sexual immorality. And so I'm okay that I won't experience God's judgment. But that's not his point at all. Sodom and Gomorrah are warnings to us that God won't let anyone who rebels against him get away with it. Anyone. Rebellion may evidence itself in, in, with sexual immorality, but it may not. It may not. Because rebellion is a matter of the heart. How it demonstrates itself uh, can be different with different people. The root of rebellion is a life lived in disregard to the word of God. It's a life lived uh, doing whatever we want to do rather than submitting to Christ's lordship in your life. It's a, it's a life of independence towards the Lord, doing my own thing, not caring what God says, not living to glorify him. And listen, some of the most rebellious people are passive people, passive. They are quiet, but in their quietness, they stubbornly refuse to live by God's standards. They don't necessarily uh, aggressively flaunt immoral behavior. They may be outwardly very moral, but in their hearts, they are stubborn. They are passive so that people don't realize how wicked they are. Rebellion is a matter of the heart, and God deals with that. So without salvation in Christ, listen, no one will escape eternal judgment. That's Peter's message. No one will. Those, those who do not accept Christ, and this is such a sobering thought, will join the citizens of Sodom and Gomorrah who listen to this have been tormented for the last 4,000 years. While civilizations have come and gone, while your ancestors, my ancestors have lived their lives and passed from the scene, while you and I are, are living in this era, they, the citizens of Sodom and Gomorrah, have been in torment for four thousand years, day and night. And anyone who does not accept Christ will join them. And that's a sobering, scary thought, but the truth of the word of God. But it doesn't have to be your destiny because Christ has already been eternally judged in our place. That's the grace of God. Your sins have already been paid for. And if you call upon Jesus Christ to save you from your sins, then God will graciously forgive you and you will not be judged. That's the grace of God. It's not necessary. He's done it all. So the first point that Peter makes about judgment is this. The destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah proves that God will judge all the ungodly, especially the ungodly false teachers, but certainly not limited to them. Second point that Peter makes about judgment is this. The rescue of Lot proves that God will rescue all believers. Let's see this in verses 7 and 8. And if he rescued righteous Lot, oppressed by the sensual conduct of unprincipled men, for by what he saw and heard that righteous man, while living among them, felt his righteous soul tormented day after day by their lawless deeds. In these verses, Peter focuses on the fact that when God destroyed the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah, he rescued Lot, Abraham's nephew, from the destruction. That story is not new to most of us. In fact, before studying Second Peter, we uh, study Genesis. And so most of us know the story about how the angels grabbed Lot, they grabbed his wife, they grabbed his two unmarried daughters and brought them out of the city before it was destroyed. But Lot's wife turned back to look because her heart was really in Sodom. She didn't want to leave. And uh, she was turned into a pillar of salt with all that stuff coming down upon her. Most of us are familiar with that. And so it's not new to us. But what is new to us, and I think it sounds very strange. In fact, 
even reading it to you sounds strange to me, that Peter refers to Lot as righteous. Does that strike you as, as foreign sounding? In fact, three times in these two verses, Peter calls Lot righteous. He calls him righteous Lot. He says that righteous man and his righteous soul. Why does that sound so foreign to us? Because when you study the book of Genesis, Lot is presented to us as a compromising man, a, a spiritually weak man, a worldly individual. There, in fact, if Peter didn't tell us he was a believer, I don't think anybody would think he was a believer if Peter didn't state it. Because judging, uh, judging as we study Genesis, you wouldn't get that impression. He purposely moved, lotted to the wicked town of Sodom, moved his family there, knowing full well what the citizens were like. Not only that, he offered, after the men of Sodom said, we want those men who are with you, he offered his two virgin daughters. He said, don't, don't do it to the, for the sake of hospitality. He said, here, have my daughters. They, fortunately, they didn't want the daughters, but uh, imagine that saying, here's my two daughters, do whatever you want with them. That's a wicked thing. He was told by the angels that judgment was, was imminent when he was told he was reluctant to leave. He didn't want to leave. Like his wife, his heart was back there. That's why they had to grab him. They physically, listen, they physically forced the man to leave. Not a spiritual man. And and to top it all, he's debates with the angels. They said, look, you leave and you get to the mountains. And he says, you know what? I don't want to go to the mountains. I want to go to a little village called Zoar. And they said, okay, then just go. Get out of here. He's arguing with angels. And not only that, later, in fact, he doesn't even go to Zoar. He does go to the mountains later. And he becomes drunk, and in his drunkenness, he is uh, he impregnates both his daughters. I mean, this is a guy who uh, certainly did not behave in a righteous way, and yet Peter refers to Lot as righteous. Now, how can that be? The answer is this, that despite his spiritual shortcomings, and they were many, Lot was a genuine believer in the one true God, just like Abraham. He believed in the one true God, and the moment, we don't know when this happened in his life, but the moment he placed his faith in God, God declared his status to be righteous. He was not delivered, folks, because of his behavior being righteous, because quite frankly, it wasn't. He was delivered because his status before God was righteous, and that is the case of every one of us. You and I don't always behave righteously, but God has imputed to us, the moment you trust him, the righteousness of Jesus Christ. It is the doctrine of justification. Justification means it is the legal act whereby God declares sinners to be righteous. See, God treats us as if we were as righteous as Jesus Christ. That's the grace of God. Just as he once treated Christ on the cross as if he was as sinful as you. God treats us as righteous. God declares sinners to be righteous because of what Jesus Christ has done for us, even when we don't behave righteously. That's sanctification, but justification means our status before God. God sees us as righteous as Christ. Thank you. We ought to get a lot of amens from that. And so Peter tells us that because Lot was a true believer, he was terribly distressed by the wickedness of the Sodomites. I mean, he was a believer. And as a believer, what he saw really bothered him. In verse 7, Peter says that Lot was oppressed by the sensual conduct of unprincipled men. The thought here, the word distressed, or it may be translated in your uh, Bibles as oppressed, 
means that that uh, he was worn down by by seeing this stuff, by the sexual perversions around him. He was exhausted. He was tired. It brought him to the point of exhaustion. In fact, verse 8, which clarifies verse 7, says he was so bothered that he was actually tormented day and night by this. The word tormented means he was tortured. It bothered him inwardly. Every day, imagine this, Lot saw and heard the citizens of his community openly defy God, and it was literally painful to him. And I read that and I think, you know what? We live in the modern day world of Sodom and Gomorrah, and yet I don't know if it bothers us as much as it bothered Lot. We're we're very quick to condemn Lot for his uh, uh, lack of righteous behavior, and yet Lot has something over us, at least many of us, that we ought to take note of. We live in a, in just as wicked a society as Lot. And yet it doesn't seem to pain us. I, I, I think we can grow and have grown calloused to the world we live in. Our society rebels against the holy God. It should bother us deeply that homosexuality is so widely accepted in our society. Not only wild, widely accepted, but moral perversions are considered politically correct these days. You dare not say anything in the public because uh, you'll never get elected if you do that. Vulgarity is the way of life around us. The things that, that are on television, on the internet, on, uh, I was just reading in Time magazine that, uh, near the Pittsburgh area, there is actually a, a drive-through striptease place. Just like McDonald's and Burger King. You just drive through, pay your money, and you watch somebody. Folks, this is Sodom and Gomorrah, and it ought to pain us. It, it shouldn't shock us because we understand human nature, but it ought to bother us and torment us as Lot was tormented. And not because we feel uh, self-righteously above that. Oh, I would never do that. Listen, we're capable of doing anything. But it ought to pain us because the God that we love, who's holy and righteous, is defied by the very creatures he made. That's why it ought to bother us. And so Lot was troubled by the daily immorality and wicked behavior of Sodom that he saw. But you know what? The scripture says that the Lord rescued Lot. He brought him out of the city before destroying it. And that's the point that Peter makes in verse 9. And verse 9 is really his conclusion as well as his application. Notice this. Then, I mean, here he's getting, this is the point. It's taken Peter from verse 4 to get to this. But then, in light of all this, the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from temptation to keep the unrighteous under punishment for the day of judgment. Peter gives a twofold message here, conclusion and application. It's this, first of all, If God rescued Lot by delivering him before judgment fell, he says, then we can be sure that he knows how to rescue believers today from, watch this, temptation. Or it could be and probably should be translated trials or tests. It's the same word. The tests or trials that come from living in a corrupt world. Now, I want you to notice something. Peter didn't say that God will rescue us from judgment. That is true, and I think that's the point he makes with Noah, but I don't think that's the point he's making here. He doesn't say, then God will rescue us from judgment. That is a given. That is true. But listen to what what he's saying. Peter is teaching that like Lot, we're exposed to all kinds of moral filth. That's true. All kinds of moral filth, especially the kind that comes from false teachers and false thinking. And I don't mean they have to be in a pulpit doing this. You get false thinking even at the workplace you're at. You get false thinking from television. You get false thinking from the media. It's all around us. That's the world we live in. 
And sometimes we get concerned about falling into that moral cesspool, that we're going to fall away, that we're going to going to abandon Christ? Are are we going to fall into sin? Are we going to renounce our Christianity? And Peter is teaching that you don't have to be concerned about falling into the sins of those around you or losing your faith because you're exposed to some false thinking and doctrine or giving into sin because someone is putting pressure on you. You don't need to be concerned about that because Peter says the Lord knows how to rescue us from these trials. The Lord knows how to do that. God in his wisdom, that's what he means, the Lord knows. God in his wisdom will always give you a way to emerge from these trials with your faith strong and intact. A.B. Simpson said, you will have no test of faith that will not fit you to be a blessing if you are obedient to the Lord. I never had a trial, but when I got out of the deep river, I found some poor pilgrim on the bank that I was able to help by that very experience. You know, God is not in the business of keeping us from trials. He's in the business of using them for our improvement and for His glory. You've been listening to Verse by Verse. Pastor Steve Kreloff is our teacher. He has been serving since 1981 at Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. Pastor Kreloff is a Jewish Christian who received Jesus as Messiah and Savior while he was a student at the University of South Florida. Find out more at our website, versebyverseradio.org. You can also stream or download previous verse-by-verse broadcasts free of charge. We've read and heard a great deal about how certain is the judgment reserved for false teachers and for others who reject God's truth. There is something else we can be certain of regarding false teachers and teaching. God will protect... Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.